You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. My name is Patty, and I'd like you to stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading from Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. I like the way this psalm ends. Israel now and forevermore, hope in the Lord. So I like to ask a lot of questions when I teach. Um, And if you haven't figured it out, I'm doing the teaching today. Um, But the first question I wanted to ask is, what is it that you hope for? What are some things that you hope for? I was thinking about that question, and I know a lot of us hope that we are healthy, right? That we don't get hurt, that we don't get sick. Some of us hope that school will never start again. Some of us hope it will start soon. We can hope for a promotion at work, hope to win the lottery, right? Maybe these are some things we hope for, but those aren't really things we hope in the Lord for, right? And, and the scripture is saying, hope in the Lord, um, and I want us to think about what hope is, but I'm getting way ahead of myself because that was the end of the psalm. So we'll, we'll end on hope. And uh, let's look at the beginning of this psalm. So what does this psalm start with? And when I open my Bible to this psalm, Psalm 131, it starts with, and, and this isn't, you know, the inspired original text, but in my Bible, it starts with a psalm of David, a psalm of ascents. Right? So what is a psalm of ascent? Right? It's, these are psalms that the Israelites, right? A, a psalm is what? Who knows? Caleb, what's a psalm? A psalm is a song praising God. A psalm is a song or a poem praising God. Right. We talk about that downstairs a lot, right? And so this is a song Praising God and a psalm of ascent is one that the Israelite people would sing as they were going on their journeys to Jerusalem, right? And so they would go three times a year, everyone would go to Jerusalem, right? In the first or second month, they would go for Passover, which is where they would eat this meal and remember that God had delivered them from slavery out of Egypt. And then in the seventh month, they would go on their family camping trip, right? The Feast of Booths, where the whole family would go and stay in tents for a week. And it was a big party and celebration of the harvest. And then in the ninth month, they would go back and they would go for the Day of Atonement, which was a confession of sin and asking God to atone for them and to forgive them for their sin, right? And so on these journeys to Jerusalem, they had these road trip songs, right? This is what the Psalms of Ascent were. And it's not like these were a 1,500-year-old version of Wheels on the Bus, right? Or 3,500-year-old version of Wheels on the Bus. 
It wasn't just a song to pass the time and annoy the parents, right? It was a song to create a place in their heart and in their mind and in their spirit where they were ready to be in the presence of God when they were coming to the sanctuary, right? And so what do we know about David? Who was David? David was a king and David was a shepherd, right? When David was a young boy, he basically fought lions and bears to keep his sheep safe, right? When David was a teenager, he fought a giant. When David was a young man, he led armies and conquered tens of thousands of Philistines in Saul's army, right? When he was a young man, he spent time hiding as a refugee when King Saul was hunting for him all over the place trying to kill him. Then he became king for some of the people for seven years. And then after that, he became king of millions of people for 40 years, right? And so you have a very, very busy life for King David. And I think that's something that we can relate to. Um, For many years, I feel like we all asked each other, how are you? And the answer was fine, right? But it seems like maybe the last two years, we ask, how are you? And the answer is busy, right? I'm really, really busy. I, I know a lot of you. I interact with a lot of you. Um, you know, about a third of the people in this room serve in the kids' ministry. And downstairs, we go around the circle, and we share prayer requests and what's going on. And um, I, look, I just look back real quick at the last two weeks of prayer requests. And of the 27 prayer requests I had written down, 21 of them were stress anxiety, or busyness and schedule with families. Like that, that dominates what we're saying, I need help with, I need prayer for, is I am so busy or I'm stressed because I have family over or I have, I have soccer or baseball or dance or extra pressure at work or school's getting out and I have to figure out what to do with kids that are home 24-7 and we have, you know, gym class and dance class and other camps, rock climbing camp like we were just talking about, Right? So we're busy. And yet in all of David's busyness, he writes this psalm. And verse 1 says, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. Right? This is the NIV. The ESV says right there, My eyes are not raised too high. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Does this sound like David's life? It doesn't really, does it? David was concerned with great matters, being a king, being God's anointed. He was concerned with things that were literally too wonderful for him as he was gathering all of this wood and gold and making plans to build this great and wonderful temple to God, right? So is David lying here? Is the first verse of this psalm a lie? Hopefully we know the answer is no, right? I think of it like this. It's a snapshot of a moment. It's what's happening in David's heart as he writes this song, and it's what he's hoping will happen in the hearts of the people as they sing this song, right? When someone says, how are you? 
Some of you might say, I'm tired, or I'm hungry, or my back hurts, right? But those aren't permanent characteristics, right? Even though you may feel like it sometimes, you're not always tired. You're not always hungry. Hopefully your back doesn't always hurt yet, <laughs> right? It's, it's not who you are. It's how you are in the moment. And that's what David is talking about in this psalm when he says, my eyes are not lifted up. I'm not concerned with things that are great or wonderful for me. He's saying, in this moment, I am not concerning myself with the busyness of my life because I'm preparing my heart to go meet with God. Um, last time I got to do the teaching up here, I threw some math up on the screen we're not going to do math class today. We're going to do foreign language class, okay? And, and not Hebrew, uh, but Spanish. So there's, what's interesting about Spanish, unlike English, is the verb to be, right? When we say I am, I am hungry, I am tired. In Spanish, there's two versions of that verb, right? There's ser, which means I always am this. And there's a star, which means I am this right now, or I sometimes am this, right? And so you can kind of see, like, uh, who I am can be an occupation, a characteristic of myself, right? The origin that I am from, the relation I have to someone. I am a father. I am a son. I am a brother. That's Sarah. A star is the position or the location or the action or the condition, right? I am grumpy right now. I am hangry right now, right? That those things are not permanent characteristics of someone. They're temporary characteristics. So what David is doing at the beginning of this psalm is he's estarring. When he says, I am, he's saying, I am right now not concerned with the busyness of my life. I am right now in this moment not having my eyes lifted up too high, right? David is telling us that we don't always have to be busy. We don't always have to be anxious. He's telling us that our busyness, our preoccupation, our stress can also be a star, not ser. Right? Those can also be temporary things that can be re replaced with being restful, with being calm, with being quiet, with being at peace. The next line in the psalm gives us a clue that this is what David means, right? Because he says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. David is telling us that before he meets with God, he gives himself a timeout. He gives himself a moment to pause a moment to breathe and just rests in who God is. Um, so let's, let's look at, at verse 2. He says, But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Now, if you were going to try and come up with an analogy of something that is calm and quiet and content... Would you choose to use a two-year-old or a three-year-old as that example, right? It's kind of as silly as the expression, I slept like a baby last night, <laughs> right? People that have babies know that that means you got up every hour, <laughs> right? So why is David saying here, 
I have calmed and quieted myself like a child. I think the key is in that word, like a weaned child, right? How old is a weaned child? That's a, that's a bag of worms, right? It could be 18 months, one year, two years, five years, maybe. It's Seattle. Um, but a weaned child is a child that no longer relies on mom for milk, right? It's, it's a young child. And I think it's important that he says weaned child, right? Um, I'll, get, I'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. I'm going to show you guys some pictures. Okay, kids, are you ready for some pictures? So at the end of June, a couple weeks ago, uh, my dad came over to our house. We bought the house from him in November. He's owned that house for 20-some years. And he had half of the garage that has just been piled with stuff. And so he came with a U-Haul truck, and we almost fit most of it into the truck, right? As we're just cleaning out this garage and hauling out all this old stuff. And, and it was interesting. Some of it um, was just stuff that had been destroyed by weather and time and was falling apart and had gotten wet and was damaged. And that was kind of sad, right? Some of it was just old stuff that, that he forgot was even there, like an, a generator from uh, 1999 when he thought everything might end at Y2K, right? Some of you guys remember that. Um, and uh, some of it was, was really emotional stuff, like stuff from our childhood, right? And uh, some of it was just weird. So in 2002, a little over 21 years ago, uh, when my wife at that point was my fiance, um, my mom was going through chemotherapy uh, for the first time, and my wife had this long hair, and she cut off her ponytail because she wanted to cut it off, but she was going to try and donate that ponytail to Locks of Love because they make real hair wigs for cancer patients, um, but unfortunately, it wasn't long enough, and she had kind of given her ponytail to my mom as a Christmas present then, right? And we found that ponytail in the garage <laughs> from 21 years ago. <laughs> That was kind of weird, <laughs> right? I also found a picture of a weaned child. That's me when I was three, right? I was cute. Uh, here's one of me and my brother and sisters when we were off of milk and onto ice cream. So that was the four of us. And then here's, here's my four kids a long time ago. Right? And so it was, it was just fun. It was fun to go through that and to see those things. And especially since that coincided, like, that, we found those pictures three days before the graduation party for my daughter that just graduated from high school, right? And so there was just all this emotion and, and nostalgia, right? And I've never been a mother, and neither was David, right? But for some reason, when David is writing this psalm, he compares his soul to that of a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child with its mother. It has to do with, obviously, kids are not always calm. They're not always quiet. They're squirmy. They're restless. But, but he's talking, again, in a star, in a moment, that there is this moment when a child is weaned that it can now be in its mother's arms without the squirmy hunting for food right? Um, 
I was talking with a, a friend, and she has a, a kid that's just being weaned, right? And she was saying her frustration over the last year is that because life is so chaotic and because whenever the baby isn't feeding, she's trying to sleep or she's trying to catch up on housework, it kind of feels like the only time she's holding her baby is when baby is feeding, and, and, and she wrestles with this idea of, does this baby even love me and know me and recognize me, or am I just food dispensary to this baby, right? And there's this moment when the child is weaned, when the little kid can climb up into mom's lap, and it's not because baby's hungry. It's not because baby needs food. It's because baby wants to be in mom's lap. There's, there's a restfulness that comes in that relationship in that moment when there's no longer a, are you here to get something from me or are you here just to be with me and to rest with me, right? This is the picture that David is painting for us, that in this moment, amidst all the busyness and importance and chaos of my life, I am calming and quieting myself like a child that can come to God and say, I'm not here to ask you for anything. I don't need anything from you right now except to be with you. I just want to be with you and rest, even if it's just for a moment, even if it's just while I'm traveling in this moment where there's nothing else to do but walk along this road. I just want to rest and be with you. Um, I am really bad at this. I'm, I, I was born in 1981, the early part of 1981, so I am in that gap of generations where it was like the tail end of Generation X and the very beginning of the millennials, right? Just right in that hinge. And, and what that means is that I still get really mad when I have to talk to a robot instead of a person, or when I have to click on boxes that contain the crosswalks to prove to a robot that I'm not a robot, right? But it also means that I get frustrated with people that can't use technology as fast as I can use technology, right? And so, so I'm kind of in that gap. Um, but somewhere in all that, I got really accustomed to multitasking and constant stimulus, Okay, I get a little bit of a twitch when things are quiet or still or nothing's happened. I'm like, what's next? What are we going to do? What, what's, what's happening? Right? Um, I listen to music while I read. I like to listen to people read a book to me while I play video games. And I fall asleep with headphones in listening to podcasts or movies. Right? It's just, I just am used to that. If, if it's quiet, I'm just laying in bed with my eyes wide awake and my mind going crazy, and I'm just used to that constant stimulus. And this psalm is really hard for me to put into practice. But I, I do have a good friend um, who counseled me once, and he said, we preach best what we need to learn the most. So this is probably going to be the best sermon I ever preach, right? <laughs> um, we have a staff meeting on Tuesdays, and when there's a month with five Tuesdays, we take the fifth Tuesday as a day of silence and solitude. And for me, that is a, 
sentenced to solitary confinement. It is something that I get anxious about, right? While some people might look forward to that day, I get all like, what am I going to do? Am I going to make it through that day? Right? It is so hard for me to be silent and to be still. But I find hope in this psalm that David is saying, you, you can have a moment of that. You can quiet and you can calm your heart and you can grasp that rest. You can grasp that peace. You can grasp that stillness in moments. And there, there's a promise of that, that I, could, I can develop in that. I can learn in that, even though my life is busy. And we all have real busyness in our lives. I just came out of the busiest two-week stretch I think I've ever experienced, right? So my wife and I run an insurance agency as well as my job here as the family ministry director, and there was a lot of work that needed to go into both of those at the same time in the same 10-day stretch. And in the middle of that, I also am finishing, this is my last month of seminary, even though I got to walk and wear the cap and gown, I still have one more class at the end of this month, and I had a 15-page paper due on Friday in the midst of that. And uh, my dad came and we were cleaning out the garage and we had a graduation party from my daughter. We had two band concerts. We had the high school graduation ceremony. We had the middle school graduation ceremony. And we had a bunch of family in town staying with us for the graduation. And so it was just this chaotic two weeks where every day was up at 6 a.m., in bed at 11 o'clock at night, and go, 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 go every minute of every day in between. And it was in the midst of this um, that I was just trying to prepare a sermon on how to rest. (laughs) And um, I went to the Gospel of Mark, and I see Jesus living this out, right? Look at at Jesus' life. Jesus had a very busy, hectic life, right? He was being challenged by the Pharisees, tempted by the devil, surrounded by well-meaning but sinful, bumbling disciples, betrayed by one of his closest followers, crowds of people around him at all times, right? I mean, imagine living your life where everywhere you go, you can't walk into a room or walk into a city and people are cutting holes in the ceiling just to get to you and you're always around a crowd. Now, I, I wouldn't have a problem with that, but for some people that sounds like a very special hell designed just for them, <laughs> right? No time alone. After he rose from the dead, though, he dies on the cross for people who he loves and came to save, yet who reject him and put him on the cross. He raises from the dead and he's walking along the road disguising who he is with two of his disciples, right? And as he's he's walking there, Luke tells us that he points out to them and explains to them how the entire Old Testament, starting with Moses, all the way through the prophets, pointed to him and his life and what he would do, right? And that applies even to this three-verse psalm that David wrote, Right? That this points to this rest that Jesus was able to have with the Father in the midst of this chaos. Hebrews talks a lot about rest and entering into rest that Jesus gives us. That's a whole sermon or sermon series. I'm not going to go there right now. But I do want to look at Mark where I, where I see an example of this. 
Um, Mark 1, 32 through 34 says, That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. That sounds like a long night's work, doesn't it? It doesn't start till sundown. It's the whole city. It's healing. It's casting out demons. It's teaching. It's everyone late into the night. And look at what the next verse says. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Jesus found rest more in being with God the Father than he did in sleep, right? His busyness was good, right? We would say that Jesus' ministry was good. He was doing good things, casting out demons, good, healing people, good, teaching about the kingdom of God, good. He's doing good work, and yet he withdraws from that to find a solitary place to be with God, to refresh his soul, to find rest in him. Right? And what's interesting is, if you continue reading right after that in Mark 2, Peter comes and finds him, you know, and he goes, hey, whole town's still back at my house waiting to hear from you. Let's go do some more stuff here. This whole town loves you. And Jesus goes, no, we're going to get in a boat and go somewhere else, because that's what I came to do, right? And this moment of prayer with God orients Jesus' mind and heart and mission, and he's able to say no to good busyness, and say yes to the thing that God sent him to do and the next thing that God is putting in front of him, right? And that sometimes we look at all the things we're saying yes to and go, yep, that's good, that's good, that's good. It's for my kids. It's for, you know, paying for my mortgage. It's for providing food for my family. It's to give the kids fun. It's this vacation that we need. And we've said yes to all these things. And we go, I just, I just don't have time to get up and spend time with God in prayer or with my Bible, right? I have to sleep. I have to rest. There's just no time. I'm too busy. But Jesus models for us this idea that even in good busyness, we need to reorient ourselves so that we're able to hear God and be connected to him and rest in him so that we know how to say no to good things that God doesn't have for us to do that right now or in this moment or in this season, right? I want to share an experience of this that I had the other night. Um, it was in that two-week stress, stretch, stress, stress stretch of busyness, right? And I was in that, that busy, chaotic moment, and I was getting ready to go to bed. I'm in my room, getting everything settled out, picking out what podcasts I'm going to listen to with my headphones to go to sleep. And I go out of my bedroom into the kitchen to get a glass of water. And my daughter, Olivia, is sitting there with her back to the kitchen, staring out the window, right? And I go, what are you, are you just sitting there staring out the window at 9.30 at night, right? And she goes, yeah, sort of. <laughs> and... Uh, I noticed her hands are kind of on the table and her phone is under her hands. And I go, were you texting someone? And she goes, yes. And I'm like, okay, get my water, get ready. And, and, I, and then, you know, parent mode kind of clicks in. I'm like, well, I walked over and I, I said to her, um, is there anything embarrassing or shameful 
on your phone that you wouldn't want me to see? And she said, no. So I said, okay. And I, then I kind of just grabbed her phone and picked it up, and she snatched it back from me, right? And I, and I said, are you willing to show me what's on your phone? And she said, not really, right? And so I walked away again. And then I was like, no, no, no. I have to, I have to be a good parent, right? A good parent of a teenager doesn't take that for an answer. And so I go, no, you will show me your phone. I want you to unlock it, and I want you to show it to me right now. And she's like, there's nothing on it. Why don't you trust me? You know? And I said, because it is my duty as a parent not to trust you. It is my right as a parent to look at your phone. And she was like, that's an invasion of my privacy. And I said, your phone is not your privacy until you pay for it yourself. And I see some nods. You're like, yeah, you tell her, <laughs> right? Um, this didn't go well right? She unlocked her phone. She handed it to me. There was nothing wrong with the conversations and what was on there. She said, see, and I said, I, I still have the right to do that. And she was like, no, you didn't. That felt like a breach of our trust. And we continued to argue at a volume that caused my wife to come out of the bedroom and mediate the conversation. And we just, we just couldn't quite resolve it. Even though we were no longer upset, we just, we just couldn't get on the same page. We couldn't get to a place where we were both happy with how things ended. And she went down to her room and I went back to my room, right? And I was, I was, just, I was mad at myself for how it had happened. And I was convinced, I said to my wife, I said, I am convinced that there is nothing I could have said or done that wouldn't have led to a fight, right? And, and I was just so upset. And then I laid down in my bed, and instead of putting my headphones on, I just laid there in silence for a minute. And I was quiet. And in that moment of quiet, the words of a psalm from a song I sang when I was young came into my mind. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And I, I wrote those out and texted them to my daughter, who still had her phone. And I said, look at this psalm. Look at how David is saying, search me, God. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there's anything wrong with what I'm doing. And tell me if there's any way that I could be walking more in your way. David is saying, when you search me, when you investigate, when you're a part of seeing if there's any guilt in me, it grows our trust. It makes us more intimate together. And I said, I'm sorry that the way I did the searching felt like a breach of trust. What we needed to do was go, how can we be like David and his father God and say, how can this investigation of, of your life be something that builds trust and brings us closer together, right? And she responded to that well and, and forgave me and things were much better and we were at peace and I was able to go to sleep. There's this moment where I had to rest, right? In my stress and in my busyness, my default was to operate out of my rights and my obligations. But when I was able to stop and go, oh, there's nothing I can do and rest and let the word of God that has been put into my heart and into my mind that I have known from when I was a child wash over me, I was like, 
I shouldn't have appealed to my rights as a parent because we've built our family on the foundation that we're a family that follows the word of God and submits ourselves to the word of God. I don't need to demand that she submit to me because we've already agreed that we all submit to the word of God and all I needed to do was let God show me in his word how to lead in that situation, right? And and that's what living in rest looks like. It looks like being in God's presence, not to say, God, I need this, God, I need that, God, help me with this, heal me from that, protect them from this, but just to go, God, I just need to be in your presence for a minute so that my mind and my spirit are right, and I'm not operating out of my rights, which I've laid down and crucified with you, but I'm operating out of your life and your spirit, which you have given to me. That's the hope that this psalm ends with. That's the hope of Jesus Christ for those who have given their life to God, for those who have accepted him and believe in him. We have a hope that Jesus will give to those who are overwhelmed and stressed out. The hope of God in Jesus is that he will give us rest. Now in moments, a star, and eventually forever in his kingdom, Ser. Eventually rest gets to be our permanent identity. And now it gets to be something we access through Jesus and the Holy Spirit if we have given our lives to him, right? That's why I believe David ends the psalm like this. Israel, put your hope in the Lord now, both now and forevermore. There's hope that we can access rest through Jesus now in the moments And there is hope that we will be able to forever dwell in the restful presence of Jesus, right? Okay, I'm going to close with a final story that helps me to find rest in my soul and helps me to understand that. Um, And this one's a little difficult for me, so I'm going to try and get through it. I might have to just read it. Um, See, one of the things we found in that garage that we cleaned out was a file cabinet that had all of my mom's quiet time journals from 1997 till she died in 2007. 10 years of her written out prayers for me and my brother and my sisters and my dad and our family and for the church doxa that was planted in this building that they were pastoring at the time, right? And um, I remember her writing in those journals from when I was a little kid. When I was a little kid, I would get up early in the morning, earlier than I needed to, and I would get up and I would go upstairs, and every morning I would find my mom on the couch with coffee, journal, and Bible in front of her, having her quiet time, right? And I would go up and I would get on the couch next to her, lay my head in her lap, never said anything. She never said anything. She'd finish whatever she was praying or writing out in her journal or whatever chapter she was reading in her Bible. And then she, when she would finish a chapter of thought, she'd always turn to me and she knew exactly what the answer was going to be. But she always asked me, is there anything you want me to read you from the Bible? And every single morning I said the same thing. I said, read me the story of Daniel and the lion's den. I loved that story of Daniel in the lion's den. And she would read me that story. And I miss my mom so much. I wish she had been able to meet all four of my kids 
before she died, instead of just my oldest two. I wish she had seen Abby graduate from high school last month. I wish she'd been at the river a few years ago when they were all baptized. I wish she was around to call up and babysit so that Jenna and I could go away for a weekend, right? But more than that, I wish I could sit on the couch with her while she drank her coffee and read her Bible. Because I don't need anything from my mom anymore. I'm finally weaned. (laughs) It's been 16 years since she died and I'm still alive. I don't need her physically for anything in this life anymore. I just wish I could be around her again because I love her, right? And friends, God loves us more than that. God loves me more than my mom loves me. And and I want to love God and long to be quietly in his presence even more than I miss my mom's presence right? To be still and experience that love with him and to know that he is God. So in this moment, right now, this star, you're invited to be in the presence of God, to not set your eyes and your mind and your heart on all of the busyness that is in front of you this week, this month, this year, this day, right? And to just be in his lap like a weaned child, right? To be still and know that he is God and that he loves you. And as we go today, as we play, as we eat, as we prepare for the week in front of us, let's calm and quiet our souls and be with the Lord. So I just want to say it, Trinity, put your hope in the Lord both now and for forevermore. Because he gives us that access now and that hope for forever. Here's some some reflection questions for the week. Um, One is, how do you react differently in stressful situations when you are rested or when you're overextended? And when can you commit to taking some time to just be with God? Because you need it. I need it, and you need it. We need to commit as a top priority taking time to be with God. So what we're going to do now is we're going to move into a time of reflection. We're going to have the band come forward, and we're going to take communion together. And just like we have access to taste in a moment that rest in God, that's what the elements symbolize for us. The body of Jesus broken for us, the blood that he shed for us that gives us access to moments of rest now that we will live in as part of our identity in the future. And that's available to all those who have confessed their sin and put their faith in Jesus. If that's not you yet, we would ask that you not participate in communion, but that you would take this moment to just have a moment of quiet and reflect, is your life too busy? Is the chaos overwhelming? And if so, to hear the invitation to come to Jesus and to find rest in him. And there will be people up here to pray with you at the end of the service that would like to welcome you into that rest with him too. So let's, let's take a moment, let's celebrate together, and let's enter into a moment of rest with our God. Let me pray. God, I, just, I thank you that you give us rest. 
And Jesus, I thank you that you love us. You love us so much and you do give us everything we need for life, but you also just want us to be with you. And you just want to be with us because you like us. And God, I pray that we would just make the time to rest in who you are and what you have done for us on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.